Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 121. It's June 18th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In today's episode, I'm going to very briefly provide you with some comments about what happened in the market so far this week following the press conference of Janet Yellen, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. And then I want to also take some time talking about how to find a mentor. And I want to do this for two reasons. One is because I've received many inquiries and many questions from people either asking me to be their mentor or wanting to know how they can find a mentor or put together some type of a mastermind group. In past podcasts, we've touched on this subject. We've talked about the importance of not only having a mentor, but also being a mentor. I do want to touch upon that again, though, and some of this was spurred by the announcement last week that a Chinese businessman gave $2.35 million to a charity to have lunch with Warren Buffett. So once we talk about the market, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts on how you can find a mentor, and although you're not going to be able to meet someone of the caliber of Warren Buffett, it definitely won't cost you $2.35 million. Well, let's talk about the market. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, the title of that episode was that the market was down but not out. We saw a slight recovery yesterday after Janet Yellen reassured the markets that although later in the year there would most likely be an interest rate increase, any future increases would most likely be mild. And really as far out uh, into the future as the Federal Reserve is willing to project, at this point they're pretty much assuring that interest rates are going to be low for a long time. We're not going to get into the mechanism of how they may do that. Remember, they have over $4 trillion on their balance sheet. So without injecting any new cash in quantitative easing, they can just use what they've already accumulated to keep rolling over that debt, not letting it mature, and thus keep interest rates low. Now, this is good news and bad news. The market was up slightly yesterday. It reversed some of the downtrend pressures that it had been experienced over the last week. And then today, the S&P was up nearly 1%. It did break up above its 50-day moving average. That NASDAQ shot up over these last three trading sessions and is trading at all-time highs. Now, this is a real head-scratcher because with all the major indexes near their all-time highs and the NASDAQ actually breaking its record from 15 years ago, you would think that we're in a very strong, stable economy. But you see, if that were the case, then the Federal Reserve wouldn't be afraid to raise interest rates. You see, they haven't allowed interest rates to rise for nine years. It's been since 2006. Their continued fear is that the economy just isn't strong enough. And that's despite the fact that we have incredibly low unemployment rate, real wages appear to be rising, and now the gasoline prices are somewhat stabilizing around $60 a barrel, we're seeing a little bit of inflation creep in. And yet, despite all this, the Federal Reserve is fearful to raise interest rates because they don't think the economy is strong enough to handle it, in fact, they're not only fearful of that, but they once again lowered 2015 GDP growth forecasts. Now, this is something I'm not going to dwell on in this episode because I really want to see how the market ends up closing tomorrow. Remember, Friday, June 19th is the third Friday of the month. This is going to be options expiration. We should most likely see some significantly above average volume taking place, and it'll be interesting to see if the market is up or down substantially on Friday. So I'm going to reserve my full comments until then. But just remember this, and this is something that I'm going to keep repeating. I've said it in the past, and it's very important. This economy just can't grow. We're seven years into a supposed recovery. The national debt from the last year of Bush's presidency till now into six years of Obama's presidency has more or less doubled. It's up about $9 trillion. At the same time, the Federal Reserve has added over $4 trillion to their balance sheet. 
Now, a lot of people are saying, hey, this is great. It all worked out because we didn't see hyperinflation. But looking at the corollary of that, we're also not seeing any growth. How can you spend so much in deficit spending and money you don't have, and then in the Federal Reserve, artificially depressing interest rates, keeping them well below historic norms based on sound economic principles of nominal GDP growth? And yet all this spending, all these deficits, all this money printing, and the economy can't seem to grow more than 2%. That 2% figure is very germane. You see, at the end of last year, fourth quarter 2014, we had a really strong, good quarter. Once again, all the optimists were saying, we're going to hit escape velocity. We're finally going to have this super recovery. The high valuations in the stock market are going to be justified by the performance in the economy. And then that all petered out first quarter 2015. Most of it was blamed on the weather, just like the previous year. The problem was this year, the second quarter of 2015 did not rebound like the second quarter of 2014. And this is where the growth of GDP really comes in. You see, in March, because we had such a lousy first quarter, the Federal Reserve lowered their guidance where they'd previously said GDP forecast for this year would be over 3% growth. Well, they walked that back to saying that at best growth would be somewhere between 2.3 and 2.7% for 2015. Just this week, they've come out again and lowered that estimate to 1.8 to 2%. Imagine that. It's hard to believe. They're actually saying that at best, this year, we're going to have no more than 2% growth. Last year, I believe we grew at 2.6. Remember, that was revised down multiple times, and so they were happy with that. But in 2013, they were also saying that in 2014, would be growing at over 3%, that would hit escape velocity. This is the same story we've been hearing since 2008. And yet the economy just can't grow. Now, we're not going to be chicken little here. We're not worried about an economic collapse. But there's something that's definitely wrong, especially when the economy can't grow more than 2%, and yet the stock market keeps hitting new highs. How can you have such high valuations and all-time highs on the major indexes when the economy, seven years into a recovery, after literally trillions and trillions, tens of trillions of dollars being spent, can't grow more than 2%? It's not rational, it doesn't make sense, and that's what concerns me. I don't know if this market's going to fall apart, but if it does, there'd be reason to believe that it could fall significantly. And as far as safe places to go, they're just not there. Blue-chip dividend-paying stocks mostly down so far year-to-date. Safe sectors like utilities, for the most part, down year-to-date. The transportation sector, a key indicator for the economy, for the most part, down so far year-to-date. Long-term safe treasuries like 10 and 20 and 30-year T-bills, down year-to-date. Banks and financials have performed well, particularly over the last three months, but they've taken a hit in the last week. Really, the only sector of the economy that probably provides you some safety as well as some extraordinary growth has been the healthcare sector. But right now, those stocks, even though they're performing well, are teetering on a razor's edge because we have the Supreme Court deciding here over the next couple weeks whether the Affordable Care Act subsidies at the state level are going to be deemed constitutional or unconstitutional. That could throw a really big monkey wrench not only into health care, but throughout the economy. It could really shake things up politically for 2016. We'll talk more about market direction and what's happening after the market closes for the week on June 19th. One final thing I want to say, and this is in regards to some comments I got about last episode when I'd referred to a blog post where I used a 100-day moving average. I continue to get questions, and these are probably from new listeners, asking about where do you find 50-day, 100-day, 200-day moving averages. 
We've done episodes on that. If you go to wellsteading.com and search on moving average, I'm sure you'll find the previous podcast. I don't want to rehash that now. I do want to say, though, that this isn't rocket science. And that's why the other day I posted another chart over at investablewealth.com where I talked about a rising wedge pattern. And all I did on that chart was to take the performance of the S&P over the last, I don't know, three or six months. I think it was six months. And I drew a simple trend line. Just take a straight edge, run it across the tops of the peaks. That'll give you your resistance line. For our purposes, it doesn't have to be exact. You can just get an idea of whether that trend is up or down. But that top line will be your resistance. And then you go to the bottom. You go to the valleys of the chart where the index had been hitting its low spots. And again, you just put your straight edge down the paper and you connect as many of those points. And what you're trying to do there is draw a simple trend line to represent support. If you haven't done so already, go over to investablewealth.com. Look at that chart. You'll see how I drew it out. It's very simple. You can easily do that for yourself. That'll give you an idea of the direction of the market. Is it moving up in a channel where the lines are parallel? Or is it moving up in a wedge like the pattern that I drew where the lines are coming together and forming the apex of a triangle, or in this case, a wedge because it's pointed up? And then you can make some assumptions from that. You don't have to go in and figure out all the averages. The point of that chart, and you'll see it when you look at it, is that I showed that currently the S&P 500 has broken support. It's fallen below what you would expect it to be based on that long-term lower support level. That's a bad sign. Even with yesterday and today's significant rises above the 50-day moving average, it's still below support. You always want to be cautious whenever a stock or an index is below a key indicator like the 50-day moving average, the 100-day moving average, the 200-day moving average, or in this case, just a simple trend line that you drew in by hand. We're not out of the woods yet. All year long, this market's been trading in a range, up 3 or 4%, down 3 or 4%. What continues to give me caution is that the upside does look like it's only 3 or 4%, and yet the downside is potentially 10, 15, 20%. Now, I can't make a recommendation. I can't give you any advice. I'm just speaking my own opinion, take it for what it's worth, draw your own conclusions. I can only say that from a risk-reward perspective, this market really worries me. Okay, now let's talk about mentoring. I'm a very big believer and a big proponent that you need a mentor. You need someone with more wisdom and guidance, somebody that can serve as a, a milestone for you, a mile marker, someone that's already been there and done that as your guide to help take you to what, wherever that future is that you want to attain. I've said in previous podcasts that if you want to see your future, look at your friends. The people that you hang around with are the people that you tend to emulate, right? Birds of a feather flock together. So if you're looking around at your current friends now and you want to improve your situation, and that's not meant in a bad way. I mean, your friends may be great people. It's just if you want to go to the next level, if you want to do a little bit better than them in terms of building wealth, I'm not talking about in terms of personal character or human worth. I'm just talking about in terms of wealth. If you're living in a lower middle class neighborhood or environment and you want to step outside of that, well, you have to look beyond your friends and your current associates. That doesn't mean that you disown them. That doesn't mean that you don't hang around them or that you don't love them and, and still want to continue with their friendship. It just means you have to look beyond them if you want to increase your wealth. And remember, we're not talking about money here. On the Wealthsteading podcast, with this lifestyle that I try and evangelize for you, I don't want you to have money just for the sake of having money or so that you can buy more things than your neighbors. I want you to have money so that you can buy your personal freedom, so that you can get off the plantation or the reservation that you've been living on. And that may not be because you're living in a lower middle class existence. 
you may find yourself in the upper crust of society, or at least in the upper end of the middle class, but you still want to do better. Because look around, even those people, some of them with very large incomes, are still living paycheck to paycheck, and they're no better off than any old wage slave. They earn a lot of income, but they're not building a lot of wealth, and so consequently, they're living in bondage. Well, if you want to break that cycle, then you need to look beyond your current associates. One way to do that is to get a mentor or even a group of mentors or try and move into a group of people. And a lot of people call this a mastermind group. I like and at the same time don't like that phrase because it has a lot of connotations to it. A lot of people have used that as a marketing term to, to really just make some money. So I'll refrain from using mastermind group. But it's really just associating yourself with other people that have similar goals and objectives. And some of those people might be at your level that are striving to get there. That's good because that shows you that you're not alone in your travels and your struggles, right? You have a fellow traveler with you. Some of those people in that group or in this universe that you're building, some of them have already attained that level. So that, that gives you hope and gives you direction. And it shows you that if they made it, it's probably something that you can achieve as well. And then other people in that group will be people below you, people that haven't advanced as far as you. And then that gives you the chance to be the mentor, to be the guidepost. That helps you not only with your self-esteem, but it's also helping you provide a service to others that are really in a position not to help you out because their status is below you. If you've ever taught a class, you know as a teacher, you always learn more than the student. So the end result of this is even though you're helping someone else out, you're really benefiting more from it. It's kind of that law of prosperity. But what I want to focus on today is that importance of the mentor, someone that's already made it, someone that's already either years or decades ahead of you. And again, this was prompted but not only by listener questions, but also by the, the article that came out last week. And this is something that happens every year. You know, Warren Buffett is always trying to raise money for charity, and so he auctions off his time. Well, each year the price to have lunch with him goes up and up. And this year it was a Chinese businessman that donated $2.3 million to charity to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Now, there's a lot of reasons he did that. One might have been just to pick Warren Buffett's brain or to pitch an idea to him. A lot of it was also probably a, a publicity stunt a way of getting his name out there, a way of showing that he had prestige, sort of like buying an ad at the Super Bowl. It may not net you any new customers or new business, but it gives you a lot of bragging rights. I don't think any of you in my audience plan on having lunch with Warren Buffett, particularly if it's going to cost you a couple million dollars, so we're not going to dwell on that. What I want to point out to you is that you don't need that kind of money to get in front of influential people. If you want to be a multi-billionaire, then yes, you probably do need to have lunch with someone like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or someone that travels in those circles. I've never done that. I can't give you advice on how to do that. I just wish you luck. But for those of you that have smaller objectives, that just want to be financially independent, that want to be what I call middle-class millionaires or the millionaire next door, well, the road for you is a lot easier traveled. Because that man or woman that you want to be like, well, they already live in your community. And it doesn't matter if you're living in a a lower middle-class community or an upper middle-class community. These men and women that have already achieved the status and the wealth and the success that you want, they're all around you. You just have to look for them. And access to them isn't as hard as you would think. Now, if you want to be a CEO of a big corporation, then getting in front of those CEOs that have already made it, yeah, that's not so easy. Because they're easy targets. People already know who they are. They already have a lot of prestige. There are probably thousands of bootlickers that are ahead of you in line trying to gain influence with that person. But when you talk about just someone that's the middle class millionaire, the man or woman that is the is the general contractor or the plumbing contractor in the area, or they own a small retail business or a transportation company or an auto body shop, maybe they're a doctor or an attorney, 
They come from all areas of life, all levels of education, and there are literally hundreds of them around you every day. Many of them lead a well-standing lifestyle, so they're not acting flashy, they don't own the biggest house in the neighborhood, they don't drive the most expensive or fashionable car. So they may be a little hard to find because they don't stick out, but those are exactly the people that you want to meet. So do your homework. Look around. This man or this woman is most likely going to be in their 50s, maybe a little older. They're going to be active in their community, whether it's their local church or a service group, or they're out there at the Little League games or the soccer games watching their grandkids play on Saturday morning. These are people that are doing the same thing that you're doing. Just open up your eyes, have situational awareness, look for these people. You should try and identify a few of these people. Make contact with them. Start a casual conversation. Get to know them. Try and confirm someone that has a successful business or a successful practice in an area or a field that you have an interest in. Now, you're probably going to have to meet several of these people because you may not hit it off with all of them. But once you do, take a couple of them to lunch. If they're that financially independent person that flies under the radar, you're going to get away with a pretty cheap lunch. Something like a Chick-fil-A or a Chili's or an Applebee's. I mean, these are not high-roller Donald Trump-type people. They're laid-back, very friendly, very nice, just community people. They want to help people. And unlike that CEO that has a thousand insincere bootlickers that are following him around, well, chances are this financially independent, middle-class millionaire man or woman has no one that's seeking them out as a mentor. Get in front of them. Ask them questions. Be sincere. Ask them how they got where they're at. Seek their advice. Try and shadow them. Follow them around. Meet with them frequently. And again, you may have to do this with more than one. That's not a problem. That's how you're putting together your mastermind group. Take their opinions and their collective wisdom and their recommendations and suggestions and use your logic and reasoning. Apply those things which would work for you. Apply those things that are good for you. And as you apply them, don't forget to look for people underneath you in status that are trying to get up to your level. As you apply the principles that you're learning from your mentor, help someone else. That'll ensure that you learn those things yourself, that you're putting them into practice. Improve upon it. If things don't work out, change it a little bit. Tweak it. Use trial and error. Keep going back to your mentors. Ask for more recommendations and advice. Keep moving that ball forward. And keep looking back over your shoulder and trying to help other people along with you. You don't have to spend a couple million dollars to have lunch with Warren Buffett to improve your opportunities of becoming financially independent. Just look for those people in your community that have already done it. Get out of your comfort zone. Don't be shy. If you want to improve your situation in life, no one's going to do it for you. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in Congress. It doesn't matter what your brother-in-law is doing. It matters what you do. Get out there and make it happen. I know many of you listen to this podcast simply for investment advice, but that's not how you exclusively build wealth. It's also about building your capital in other areas, improving your earnings opportunities, building your social capital, increasing that community around you that has like-minded goals and objectives. That's how you build your wealth and how you ultimately attain that personal freedom. So don't get an ulcer worrying about the stock market. Don't get too wrapped up in what's going on with the Federal Reserve or corporate buybacks or any of those other crazy things that are going on right now. They'll all work themselves out. The market's been in a long period of consolidation. It will eventually go on to break up or break down. You have no control over that. What is in your sphere of influence are the friends that you associate with and the mentors that you seek out and try and emulate. So go find some good people and build some relationships. 
That'll wrap things up for today's episode. As I said, when we come back in the next episode, the market will have closed for the week. We'll know how stocks had reacted to options expiration and we'll further analyze the situation. So until then, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.